From the U.S. Army, a national touring band and rock radio programmer, it's Nick Summers. And this is The Right Side of Rock. Here's Nick Summers. Ah, tis the season of guitar companies suing guitar companies. It's actually nothing new, but the latest, Gibson suing and winning against Dean Guitars. For what you say? Everybody knows what the Flying V looks like, right? Or the Gibson Explorer. Apparently, Gibson thought that Dean's version of the Explorer, the Z, and their version of the Flying V, which they just call the V model, was too much for Gibson to take. Now, this has been brewing for probably 20 years. But why is it important now? Gibson actually won their lawsuit versus Dean. A multi-million dollar trademark lawsuit. This happened back in May, but there's a new update on it. By order of a court injunction, Dean will no longer be able to manufacture, advertise, or sell guitars that infringe on Gibson's ES, which is kind of their semi-hollow body guitars. Think like back in the 50s, that kind of look. The SG, think Angus Young, his guitar. The Flying V, which we mentioned, and now the Explorer trademarks. And its Hummingbird wordmark. As a result, Dean must cease production and marketing of its Luna Athena 501 Grand Sport, Z and V models, and any guitars using or advertised with the word Hummingbird. Hummingbird is trademarked by Gibson. Now, according to Guitar.com, Dean must not only cease production of the aforementioned models, but Armadillo, its parent company, must be required to pay over $330,000 in legal fees. Up until last week, you could still find those guitars on the Dean Guitar website. No more, though. But at the end of June, Dean CEO and President Evan Rubinson said, we have no plans to drop the Dean V and Z guitars, nor the Dean Evo headstock design. Kind of looks like a Gibson, Les Paul, the Evo. As the jury found no trademark liability on any of those. Interesting. Let's go back in history before we finish with the Dean guitar versus Gibson guitar lawsuit. It's not the first time this has happened. You have to go back to the 70s. Guitars and guitar-based rock and roll had reached a level of popularity that lasted all the way into really the early 2000s. This according to flypaper.soundfly.com, Gibson, Les Pauls, SGs, Fender Stratocasters, and Telecasters, a lot of those guitars were starting to decline significantly from a production standpoint. The careful attention to detail, superior parts, meticulous craftsmanship, it it really all diminished. Some say even to this day. I think Fender has made a great comeback. Gibson guitars, I think, are still overrated. I mean, you're gonna drop. You're honestly, you're gonna drop about anywhere, depending on the model, two to five thousand dollars for a Gibson Les Paul. That's a lot of money for an instrument that I think is, eh. That's my opinion. I can think of a lot of other guitars out there for about that price, and in some cases, half that price, that are a much better instrument. And what I mean by that is, I just think the electronics are better. I think the craftsmanship is better. And it's not about playability, because that's subjective. I mean, what you think plays great, I might think doesn't. But just the quality of the instrument. Gibson has gone down. They're trying to fix it, but they've been trying to fix it for honestly since the 70s. Anybody who's played guitar for a long time knows that Gibson has that problem where the, uh, the headstock snaps off. It's a design flaw, and it's been there for since forever, it seems. Now, Harry Rosenblum, as we go back in history, owner of Medley Music in Pennsylvania, made a living selling handmade instruments. Sensing the domestic guitar market's downturn that was happening in the 70s, I mean, Fender was sold to CBS, 
Japanese firm. Their quality was really in the toilet for a while. I told you about Gibson's problem with their headstocks snapping. Rosenblum's company, Elger Guitars, became the sole North American distributor of Japanese guitars. Hishino Gakigen. Hoshino began importing classical guitars from small Spanish guitar maker named Salvador Ibanez in the 20s to sell in Japan when he went to launch his own brand under the name Ibanez. Inspired by the imported guitars in 1935, Rosenblum, the owner of that shop in Pennsylvania, sensitive to domestic hostility towards Japanese products still prevalent in the late 60s, used Ibanez as the brand name for his imported guitars. Hoshino became profitable enough to purchase Elger guitars from Rosenblum and officially change it to, there it is, Ibanez USA. They achieved a lot of success, Ibanez did, when it began manufacturing copies of classic Fender, Gibson, and Rickenbacker guitars in the late 60s. And as I mentioned, Gibson and Fender guitars were declining in quality. Japanese copies were at least visually and markedly on par with the American originals. They weren't quite built to the same specifications as their American counterparts. Many sported bolt-on necks. Most of the Gibsons are set necks, which means it's set and glued in. Bolt-on, that's another argument for another day, whether you like bolt-on or set or neck through. Then we get into the weeds on that. But nevertheless, bolt-on necks, inferior electronics, and multi-piece plywood tops. The Japanese instruments were, eh, they had personality. They were faithful to the original designs. They weren't quite at the level of a top-of-the-line Gibson, but they were quickly embraced by novice players and those who didn't want to shell out their hard-earned cash for a guitar of questionable quality. American guitar brands felt the hit. In addition to Ibanez, other manufacturers started importing their own copies of classics. 70s Les Paul lookalikes featured names like Bernie, Tokai, and Greco. Greco is important to the story because Kiss had an agreement with Gibson. Even though Gene wasn't a huge, huge fan of the uh, the Gibson guitars he was being sent, the Grabbers and the Rippers and bass, and you, you see them on, on some of the covers or some of the imagery that was available at the albums on the albums at the time, he was really a fan of something different, but he took the free guitars because they were free, as he's often been known to say. But Ace and Paul loved it. Now, when they went to tour Japan... They were playing Greco's, Gibson copies. I don't know how Gibson felt about that. There are plenty of videos out there of Ace Frehley playing not a Gibson, but a Greco. Same thing with Paul. They looked a lot like Gibson guitars, the Flying Vs and the, and the Les Pauls. And Greco's font is almost identical to Gibson's. It's kind of interesting. Now, let's fast forward to 1977. Gibson's parent company filed a lawsuit against Ibanez, and the lawsuit was settled out of court. Ibanez had to revise their headstock design. The headstock, for those of you that don't play, that is the part that has the tuning pegs and usually has the logo or the name or the model of the guitar. Ibanez went on to design some pretty incredibly unique guitars and kind of ventured away from the copycat thing that they were started, you know, they started out doing. But you had the uh, Ibanez Iceman that Paul Stanley made famous. I mean, you can even fast forward into the uh, late 80s and you had the uh, Gem which Steve Vai was famous for. They even had the Destroyer, which looked kind of like the Explorer, but not so much. Now, they never got sued for that. If you find an original Ibanez lawsuit guitar, those are worth a lot of money. Guitar business in the 80s was booming, thanks to the success of, of you know the hard rock style of music that was pretty popular at the time. Also, thanks to MTV. You add MTV and you got a very visual component. 
He had all the crazy designs of guitars. I mean, the 80s guitars were. Now they're starting to come back in a little bit as far as popularity and collectability. But I remember a time when the 80s glam era, I guess if you want to call it that, was really out the window. And you had grunge and they were bringing back some of the classic instruments like the Fender Jaguars and the Mustangs and the Gibson Les Pauls. And, you know, those were starting to make a comeback. While the odd shaped or pointy design guitars, and you've seen them. You've seen any videos in the 80s, you've seen those guitars. I mean, they look like rocket chips. They're just, they're crazy designs. You could pick those up so cheap. I was fortunate enough at that time, it's like, wow, these guitars are awesome. And you can get them for like a couple hundred bucks. Now they're back up in, in the collectability and, and, you know, that kind of value. I'm seeing some guitars that were a couple hundred bucks just 10 years ago, 15 years ago, going for a grand or two grand. And everybody made some crazy design guitar. Everybody. So business was good. Great song. Rockin' is my business. So let's go back to the lawsuit with Dean Guitars. Now, Gibson put out a video right before the lawsuit, and you can hear the snarky, ticked-off tone from the guy in charge of Gibson, Mark Agnesi. The video is no longer on their website, but, the, you know, as you know, the Internet's forever. And the video is called Gibson Play Authentic. Just, I want you to just listen to this in its entirety. Gibson is mad. Hey, everybody. Mark Agnesi here for Gibson Guitars. And today, I want to take a few minutes to talk to you about originality and what it means to play authentic. You know, for 125 years now, Gibson's been shaping sound across generations, genres of music, and genders, all the way back to the turn of the century with Orville Gibson's innovations in mandolin building, through the 1920s with Lloyd Lohr's perfection of arch-topped instruments, to our fabulous flat tops of the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, which helped shape sound across all genres, to our semi-hollow body and solid body instruments of the late 1950s and early 1960s, which helped define the sound of rock and roll. Gibson's been innovating the whole time, and we want to talk to you today about some of those innovations. First, the one I got in my hands, the big daddy of them all, the Les Paul. This single cutaway carved maple top design originally came out in 1952 and is iconic to rock and roll as the name that it bears on the headstock. In 1960, the uh, introduction of the Gibson SG with its double-horned body. It's never been out of production. The only Gibson solid-body guitar to always be in production since its creation in 1960. We have the mouse-eared, F-hole, semi-hollow body designed with the ES-335, 345, and 355 that grace so many albums of the 50s and 60s 
all the way to Ted McCarty's most iconic designs in the futuristic series, like the Flying V and Explorers, some of the most copied and imitated guitars of all times. And not just our body shapes, but things like the shape of the headstock, that open book design or mustache kind of design, the split diamond inlay that you'd find on the Les Paul customer, the ES-355, or that crown, or some people call it pineapple inlay, that you'd find on the 335 of the Gibson SG. All of those innovations and design elements are trademarks of Gibson. Why does this matter? Well, for a few reasons. People ask us a lot about forgeries and, co- and counterfeit guitars, you know, often of lower craftsmanship coming in from overseas. But there's some common misconceptions about what a forgery is and what trademark infringement is. Any copy of any one of those designs that we've named is in fact, by definition, a counterfeit Gibson guitar. What that means for a couple different people. To the manufacturers out there, we want you to know that you've been warned. We're looking out and we're here to protect our iconic legacy and the designs that we've created over generations. To all the people in the film and television and commercial industry, Reach out to us. We want to work with you. Stop taping over the logos on the headstock. By the way, that's not enough to to get out of a trademark infringement anyway. Contact us. We want to work with you. We want to be partners with you. We want to help bring authenticity to your projects. And this isn't about us trying to be bullies or trying to stifle the boutique marketplace. This is about protecting our legacy. 125 years of innovation and relevance in, in music. It's worth protecting, and it's our job, and we will continue to fight to protect our intellectual property. And to all the players out there, what does this mean? It goes back to what we started talking about, being original and playing authentic. Gibson's been investing money in our factories, in our team of people working, in the content that we're creating to make the Gibson experience the best and make the best guitars we've made in 125 years. And it's our goal that for the next 125 years coming, that will be the most relevant, the most loved and most played guitar brand in the world. Be original, play authentic, and remember, only a Gibson is good enough. Again, that's Mark Agnesi with the now since been deleted from their website, Play Authentic video. Now, I set this whole thing up on this week's podcast about that lawsuit versus Dean Guitars. They've been brewing behind the scenes for a while. It was only this year Dean finally faced legal action from Gibson. Back in May, the jury found Dean guilty of infringing on some of Gibson's trademarks. The court ruled that Dean was to cease production, marketing, and sale of all Z and V models. Wow. Now, Dean initially refused. And you can still go to their website and you can find them. I just checked. They're no longer on their website. However, this article is from a couple of days ago. Dean and its parent company, Armadillo, won't be having any of that, according to Guitar.com. Armadillo has appealed the judgment and other court orders. They explained in the official statement, quote, All appearing defendants counterclaim, plaintiffs, hereby appeal to the United States Court of Appeals of the Fifth Circuit, the final judgment, and each and every prior order of the district court herein. Legalese for word fighting you. And this year's been a pretty rough year for Armadillo and Dean. Again, Armadillo's the parent company of Dean Guitars. Dean Zelensky was the founder of it back in the 70s. He's since sold it. So aside from this legal battle with Gibson, Dean's CEO, Evan Rubinson, was ousted by the armadillo owner, Pamela Karras Rubinson, who's also his mom, for embezzling $420,000. Additionally, Evan claimed that he left the position on his own, even though this contradicts the mother's official statement as the company owner. As the source further explains, again, this is from guitarstrings.com, The appeal seems to be a pretty risky move, and Armadillo is going all in on this gamble. 
If it fails, they'll still have to pay all of the legal fees plus additional ones. If they succeed, they'll be able to get things back on track. Now, to make this whole drama even worse, Gibson recently accused Dean of ignoring the court ruling. And that's what I was telling you about. It was just a week ago. I went on the website. You can still find those guitars. And the former Dean CEO has been accused of bragging in an interview with Guitar.com where he stated, I'll be pumping out Z and V models like you wouldn't believe. Those are the two that are being targeted primarily. Gibson filed the appeal August 8th, so just last month. And the whole thing could just add to Dean's already critical legal fees that they owe Gibson from the first lawsuit. This is kind of a developing story. But as I mentioned, I just went on the website, and those guitars are now gone. Something to keep in mind, China. How does China factor in in all this? Almost every guitar manufacturer has their budget line, if you will. Even Gibson. It's now Epiphone. Epiphone used to be really decent guitars. They've gotten better. Don't get me wrong. But for a while, they were really nasty. I had a couple. I was like, ugh. Same thing with Fender and Squire. Fender's got their medium price line, which is like Mexican made, as opposed to the USA made guitars, which are two, three grand or more. Same with Gibson, like I said, Epiphone. Now, Epiphone's quality has been stepped up, but the Squire version of Fender is exactly what it is entry level. Now, how does China factor in? Many of these companies will outsource production of these budget line guitars to Chinese manufacturers. Here's what happens after the honor their commitment of, I don't know, let's just say 10,000 guitars. They have parts left over. Sometimes they have rejects. Sometimes you have unscrupulous factory owners that keep their people working round the clock, you know, different shifts, to pump out guitars. Now, instead of stamping Epiphone on them, guess what they stamp? Gibson. They're unaffectionately called Chibsons in the industry. These are downright, I mean, this is theft of intellectual property, but it's kind of the American guitar makers you know fault initially because they send them the designs and the specifications on how to make these instruments but they tell them to use basically inferior electronics cheap wood the craftsmanship is horrible but they give them the specs what do you think's going to happen they turn around they open up these little pop-up almost like ebay stores However, eBay doesn't allow it anymore, but they, they have uh, si websites called like Alibaba and DHgate. It's just all Chinese knockoff junk. I'm not picking on the Chinese people. I'm just saying the unscrupulous manufacturers. I've seen one. I've held one in my hands. They look amazing till you play it. And like I said, they just make knockoffs and they stamp the original instead of Epiphone or Squire or whatever. They stamp the original main USA line, you know, guitars. They even have serial numbers. I mean, it's if you don't know what you're looking for, you can get screwed. Armadillo has a lot of foreign made guitars. That is the parent company of Dean. What do I think of the Dean guitar lawsuit with Gibson? As we go back to that, I got off on the Chinese manufacturing tangent. Personally, I think the guitars are very similar, 
but I don't call them outright copies. So I have a hard time with that. The headstock, again, for those of you who don't play guitar, that's where the tuning pegs are when you tune the guitar. The headstocks are so radically different. The body shapes, pretty close, yeah, but the electronics are all different. And I feel Dean isn't out there trying to sell, quote-unquote, Gibson. They're selling you a Dean guitar with these iconic shapes that, truthfully, have been with us since the 50s. So do I think Gibson is within their rights to sue? I don't have a problem. It's a free country. I think you can sue if you want to. I don't necessarily agree with the jury because even to the casual observer, if you put a Dean Z or V up against an Explorer from Gibson or a Flying V from Gibson, you're going to say they're similar, but even even someone who doesn't play is going to go, well, there's a difference. They're not the same. But that's my point. There are so many copies of these iconic designs. There's only so many things you can do with a guitar. Again, it's not like the 70s where you're really trying to rip off somebody by selling something that looks so close. Or it's not like the Chibson guitars. I wish Gibson would go after that market. They've tried, but it's really hard. Why is it so hard to sue China? Theft of intellectual property. It's not just guitars they do it with. They do it with everything. And it's all because we, as a country, has sent them our specs and outsourced our manufacturing because it became too expensive to manufacture here, I guess. This is all by design, by the way. And they don't even try to hide it anymore. They advertise it. You can see them everywhere. You get what you pay for. Buyer beware. That's what I say. One more quick tidbit. This ended up being a newsy Right Side of Rock podcast this week, didn't it? Oh, that's all right. One more bit of interesting news. Striper was set to hit the road and tour... And now they're not. Why? Well, you got something else you can blame Biden for. <laughs> I'll tell you about it. And it's my final cut. Coming up. The Right Side of Rock with Nick Summers. Appreciate spending the time with me. You got a lot of choices out there. And uh, the fact that you selected The Right Side of Rock, that is amazing. And thank you. If you want to get in touch with me, it's nicktalk945 at gmail.com. nicktalk945 at gmail.com. Also, subscribe to be notified when new episodes are available. And rate me. Let me know how I'm doing. Make sure you share it with a friend who you think might enjoy this kind of stuff, whatever this is. Striper News. And remember, we have a local connection. It's Perry Richardson, who is now in Striper. It's originally from Conway. Yeah. Striper has postponed most of its previously announced shows in September this month for economic and other reasons. The veteran Christian rockers announced the postponement in a statement last week. The band wrote, quote, it is with heavy heart we are postponing most of our September tour dates to the spring and summer of 2023. Refunds will automatically be issued. You can check all that out on striper.com. But again, why? There are economic cards stacked against us. Anyone in the music business will tell you about the tour bus and labor shortage out there. We're feeling it firsthand. The tour bus business is like the housing market right now, with 10 times more bands trying to rent buses than are available. And have you seen gas lately? This is all from the official release. You're putting 10,000 plus miles on a bus, as we were planning to do. Gas prices absolutely matter for a tour like ours. Thanks, Biden! Gas prices and labor shortages, even hitting the music industry. And Striper, they're saying, is not the first one. It's like a domino. Striper has a new album coming out in October, and we've already scheduled, The Right Side of Rock is already scheduled to uh, interview Michael Sweet regarding that new album. I can't wait. I'm very excited about it. 
Let's go back to my favorite album from them, and it's kind of a secular album. I, I love all Striper stuff, but this one is the one that they actually don't like as much, but I thought it was a great album. It's from Against the Law. This is Two Time Woman. This was, I think, the first, second, no, the second video from the album back when MTV played videos. The right side of rock. Here's the final cut. This 
is the right side of rock.